You know, as we continue on this message series following, today we're talking about something that, quite honestly, many of us would la- rather just kind of skip over or gloss over. You know, it's that big word, obedience. I mean, let's just be honest. We don't like that word. We don't like to, the idea that I need to obey. I mean, we would just rather kind of just go on our life, enjoy our, what we want to do each and every day, focus on me, don't tell me about what I'm supposed to do, how, how I'm supposed to live, or, or what I'm, how I'm supposed to walk. For many of us, when we hear the word obedience, when we hear the idea that you need to obey, oftentimes what quickly comes to our mind is restrictive, boring lives. That's what we think of. A life that just tells me about what I'm supposed to do, and then as I do that, I'm realizing all that I am missing out on. And we lose sight of what obedience is all about. Maybe, just maybe, obedience was not about restrictive lifestyle, but maybe, just maybe, obedience was opening up the opportunities of real life. You know, you know when I really learned the reality of what obedience is all about? When we got our dog. When we trained our dog. You know, we, we at the Balbock house, we have this little uh, miniature schnauzer named FIFA. And uh, she is a knucklehead, but she's a pretty good dog too. But you know, when we first got her, we all made the agreement that we will train her to be a good dog. You know, some tricks, yeah, but really to be a good dog around the house. And so we dived into training. And you know what we really learned? The most important first steps of obedience is. You know what it's all about? It's about bonding and trusting. If there is not a foundation of a bond and trust, obedience you will never understand it. Obedience, you will never secure it. You will never walk in it. It will always be something dirty and awful in your mind. But when you realize obedience in the foundation of bond, of a relational bond and trust, it opens up the door. For our dog, you know, the first thing that we had to do before we taught her to sit, before we taught her where she's allowed to go, what she's allowed to touch, what she's allowed to chew on, all that different stuff before we could even get into those elements of training her to be obedient, I had to bond with her and cause her to trust me, get to a place where I love you, I want to follow you. I'm not doing this because I have to, I'm doing this because I want to. And so with the dog, you know how it starts? It starts by taking her food and spending time where she eats out of your hand and only out of your hand. And you kind of build that bond and then she starts to see guess what you provide for me everything I have is from you and so I want to follow you why because you are good to me and you provide everything I need and then once that bond and trust comes into play guess what she wants to obey And when she does that, when she takes that steps as a dog, she experiences a good life. For a dog, you know what that means? It's a life where we're not walking in the house every single day yelling at her, fussing at her, telling her not to do this, not to do that, where her anxiety just overwhelms. That's what happens with dogs. 
But the good life is she knows what she's supposed to do, where she's supposed to be, and the anxiety is down, and she is a happy dog. Now, I'm not trying to say you're a bunch of dogs. I'm a dog. But there's a lot of similarities there. You know, in our relationship with Jesus, oftentimes we lose sight on the blessings of obedience because we've never developed the bond and trust with God. It all starts at the foundational level. We've been led to believe that we can take care of ourselves. We've been led to believe that I can just do this life on my own and whatever I want to do and just achieve it on my own. We've lost sight on the reality that everything I am, everything that I get, everything I have is because of him. There has to be a bond. And that bond develops trust. And so... Your lack of obedience, my lack of obedience, when you get down to the heart level, is a breakdown of trust. That's where it goes. You know, spiritually speaking, we are good with most everything in this journey until we get to this type of a talk. We're good with everything the Bible has to say until we're told you're supposed to live this way. You're supposed to act this way. You're supposed to do this. You're not supposed to do that. And all we hear is that's boring, that's judgmental, I'm missing out. And this causes us to miss the foundation, foundational biblical reality, something that I learned on my journey, that obedience actually does not restrict me. Obedience guides me towards life. Obedience opens the door to so much more. But when we walk in disobedience, we live a life of anxiety, lack of confidence, and just brokenness. You know, all begins with a bond and trust. Trust that leads to obedience, and obedience that leads to the good life. But you know what the big problem is? Why we really struggle with this? When the bond breaks down, when the trust breaks down, we live in a world that's a big old buffet. I mean, have you ever gone to a food buffet? Let me just tell you something. Don't take Bill to a food buffet. I don't make good choices. Okay, because you know what happens. We go to the buffet and we have all these choices. A couple years ago, my family and I went to, to Myrtle Beach for vacation. And if you've ever been down there, have you ever noticed all the buffets are like in competition with each other, how many items they have? It's like we have 92 items on our buffet line. We have 101 items on our buffet line. We have 142. Go, if you're, next time you go to Myrtle Beach, check that out. It's crazy. It's like, I'm going there because they have 140 things in their buffet meal. That's what I want right now. And we go to the buffet. Why? Because we can gorge ourselves. And the problem is this. When I go to the buffet, if you're anything like me, you look at all the options there's some healthy options and a whole bunch of not-so-good options. And if you're like me, you look at the healthy options like, you know what, I can do that later. I'm going for that stuff. And I'm going to gorge myself. And that's what happens in life. Can I just be blunt honest with you right now? In life, we are overwhelmed with the buffet of choices of voices and things demanding and telling us how we should live, what we should do, what's right and wrong. And the honest reality is this. Oftentimes, we always tend to make the wrong choice. 
You know why? Because the Bible says we're just a bunch of sheep that needs a shepherd. And the sheep often don't make the good choice. They need the shepherd to guide them. And the sheep have such a level of trust and bond with their shepherd. They know his voice in a hundred voices. That when he calls, they know where to walk. How well do you know the voice of God? Because our lack of obedience often comes because he has been trying to bond with us, but we're really not trying to bond with him. And when that happens, there's a level, a lack of trust and a lack of obedience. And we don't even know his voice in the buffet of voices in this world. And it causes us to become a train wreck in our life and dealing with so many consequences because obedience comes down to how we act out in our life. You know, every choice we make, every way we act out, whether by choice or by impulse, has consequences to it. And the Bible consistently warns us about these consequences. There, these biblical warnings have revealed their truth by what we see in this world, how, what we see happen in our lives. And there are these consequences that we face. The Bible talks about them. There's temporary consequences, worldly consequences. There's you know, physical, emotional, relational, spiritual. And then there's also eternal consequences. You know, the reality is this. I think God allows us by our own choice to deal with the temporary consequences in this world. The physical, the relational, emotional, and spiritual. To wake us up, to get us a glimpse of what eternal consequences will be like maximum level without him and here's how this happens we start we we have a lack of a bond we have a lack of trust we start walking down we we don't want to hear the word do this do this you don't tell me how to live and then before you know it we develop distractions within our life we build up these walls to not think about the consequences that may happen if i go down this path you know if i just don't think about it it won't happen and then we just kind of walk down this path, and before you know it, all of these distractions, all these disruptions in life, they create within us what I want to call as Christian apathy. And a big problem for many of us today is that we become apathetic Christians when it comes down to obedience. And we just built these walls. And please understand this, my friends. Apathy derails our journey with Jesus and our ability to experience him. That's what it ultimately does. Apathy derails our journey with Jesus. It wipes us off and our ability to experience him. Apathy is just kind of thinking everything, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't make a difference. You can do that that way. I can do it this way. You can live this way. I can live that way. It doesn't matter. And before you know it, we've become a nation of apathetic Christians and we've lost sight on the reality of Jesus and what he's calling us to do by walking with him. See, an apathetic faith just pushes, pushes us away from obedience. And when we don't walk in obedience, it pushes us away from trusting him and ultimately having a bond with him and we miss out on everything that he has for us. Apathy is just going through the motions, which causes us to live under the law more than living under grace, more than living under faith. 
Do you know in the letter that James wrote in the New Testament, he actually deals with this very subject? He deals with the problem of being apathetic in our faith journey. He puts it this way in James chapter 1, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. This is my life verse. It's one I cling to every single day. Let me read it again so that it can sink in. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You know, I love the letter James wrote because he is so straightforward. He gets right to the heart and he identifies right, right away in James 1 how apathy derails our faith. He talks before that verse how we need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. You see, merely listening to the word is becoming apathetic in our faith journey. It sounds good, but nothing changes. We don't like it. So we ignore it. We don't listen to what Jesus has to say, and nothing changes. And in so doing, we eventually miss out on everything that he has to offer. We miss out on the good life. You know, apathy begins with what is the root of every sin in your life. The root of every sin in every person's life begins with pride. That's where it all begins. The root of our struggle in this world, within our own hearts, is pride. And apathy begins right there. You see, it begins with, I don't develop a bond with Jesus. I'm not hanging out with him. I'm not spending time in his word. I'm not talking to him, and I'm not taking the time to listen to him. And therefore, I don't have trust. You know, when we develop that bond, when we develop that trust, we become full of Jesus. And who he is and what he has for us. But when we don't walk that path, when we let pride consume us and apathy consume us, rather than being full of Jesus, we become full of ourselves. And what we want, what we desire. And then all of a sudden when we become full of ourselves, deep down you may never have voiced it, but you told Jesus, I don't need you. You know where trust really is developed in training a dog and trust is developed in our relationship with Jesus? When we come to the realization that you provide everything I need. You provide everything I have. When we begin to believe the lie that you brought upon yourself all the good things in your life, then you missed out on the reality that you are nothing without the creator of the world. That's when pride sets in. And then when pride sets in, before you know it, then you think, I can just live life my way. It doesn't make that big of a deal. That's when apathy sets in. But pride is destruction. Pride, by definition, is pleasure or satisfaction within your own self. What you want. What you want to gain. You know what James writes about? The reality of pride in a few verses before what, the verse we just read in verse 11, he writes, For the sun arises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Catch that last line? Something that's repeated throughout Scripture from the Old Testament through the New Testament. The rich, our lives will fade away as we're just living life. In other words, you won't even recognize 
the fading away until it's gone because you've become so consumed with yourself. That's scary. And that's a question I ask myself all the time because I need to be honest with myself. And that's a question I encourage you to ask often. Am I so full of myself that I'm missing out on my life fading away? Am I so full of myself, what I want, what I think I deserve, what I want to go after, that I'm missing out on the reality of God working right here? Am I missing out on his bond? Proverbs 16, 18, it's not in your notes, but it says that pride goes before destruction. The fade leads to destruction. You see, when the storms of life come, because they will, when the storms of life come, how will you weather it? How do you persevere? You see, we all struggle with this as we grow up. From dependence to independence. You know, we want to be mature. And we think that maturity equals doing whatever we want. Just being my own person. Living my way. When we lost the reality of what it means to be mature. Mature does not mean you can just do whatever you want in life. That does not equal maturity. You know what maturity is? Maturity is know how to stand within the fire without getting burned. Maturity knows what I can handle and what I cannot. Maturity knows that it is not wise for me to walk down that path. So you know what? I'm not even going to walk down that path. That's maturity. Maturity has never equaled a life of what you want. Because a life of what you want is a full self-focused life that just fades away and leads to destruction. Maturity is found in, you know what? I need to protect myself because I'm not as strong as I think I am all the time. I need to make good steps because my life could fade away. You know, here's the thing. When we live outside of God's will, you may sometimes experience good things, but those good things won't last. It doesn't stay. It comes and it goes and it eventually withers away like the scorching plants. That James, that's what James wrote. And the call comes down as, what are you really placing your confidence in? What are you putting your confidence in? Because pride causes us to put our confidence in ourselves, what we do. But it quickly fades away. But our confidence, for those of us who has confidence in Christ, in Jesus, that will last for all eternity. It will last forever and ever. You know, when pride festers in your heart, it consumes our thoughts, our actions, and our attitudes. And you know what happens in that moment? Because pride is the root of every sin struggle in your life. Once pride consumes your heart and it begins to consume your thoughts and your actions, your attitudes, that's when the devil goes on the offensive. The devil is at war for your heart. You know why? Because he knows whoever has your heart has your life. And that's what he desires. He desires to have your life. Not so that he can be your God. But so that you can suffer with him for all eternity. Because he knows his future. He knows what's going to happen. You know how Satan works it? 
He sees your pride. He sees your heart. He knows the challenges, what you wrestle with in your heart. And because you're not strong enough, none of us are, he swoops in. He pushes just the right buttons to get your pride going, to get you become more apathetic with, with what you're supposed to do. You become apathetic with, you know what? I know the Bible says that, but really is that big of a deal? Or you become apathetic with you're sitting right here and you've already begun to tune me out. You're thinking about other things. You're ready to go out for, for, your, for where you're going to lunch. You think Bill talked about buffets, so we're some great buffets around here. That's where your mind is. Come back in. Don't push it away. God wants to work in your life, but Satan wants to distract you and be, make you become more and more apathetic. You see, when you're unable to explain the desires that are within your heart, that's when he begins to work. You see, we all have these things going on inside of us, these feelings, these thoughts, these concerns, these crises of our hearts, and then we just don't know, I don't know what this means. I don't know how to deal with it. I'm not strong enough. And then you don't know what to do with the, those longings within, within you. And the Bible calls these temptations. That's what they are. It's that workings within your heart, these feelings that just aren't right. And can I just be honest with you? Just because you have unholy thoughts within your heart and your minds, that's not when it is sin. It is not a sin to have have to struggle with thoughts in your heart. It's a sin when you allow those thoughts to cause you to act out in your life. And Satan knows that. He can toy with your thoughts and your minds. Make you think, it's real. It's in there. He works those temptations. And when you don't know what those are all about, he goes after the heart. Because he knows when he has your heart, he has your life. And then he causes us to question whether what we feel or what we desire or what we want to do is right or wrong. That's when apathy starts to set in. Maybe it's not that big of a deal. What if I just did it one time? I mean, would it make that big of a difference? Who is it really hurting? How does it really affect anybody else? Those are all the lies of the devil as he begins to take us from a life trying to walk with God towards an apathetic faith that leads us to destruction. You know, we start to have thoughts like, God's holding out on me. God is, you know, is not providing me his best. And like a smoke bomb in the soul, the devil just attacks us with confusion. That's why the Bible calls him the father of lies in John chapter 8. Why over and over again throughout the scriptures, the Bible says that the God we serve is not a God of confusion. That's found in 1 Corinthians 14. You know, God is a God who loves and guides. Satan is the one who causes confusion and lies to us. And once that confusion sets in, then he begins us, begins us to go down a path of questioning God. God, I'm missing out. If I truly follow you, you're causing me to miss out on what I could really have in life. You're causing me to miss out on enjoying life. I mean, look at all the fun they're having in this world. Or you made me this way, and now you tell me, no, I can't do that. Or, or it's just too hard. You're too restrictive. You're too boring. And all these different lies. And then Satan shifts our pride and apathy to confusion. Then turns, ang then turns our heart to being angry with God being disappointed with God, thus leading us down a trail to blaming him or adjusting our view of who he is as creator. That's how he works. 
That's his path of deception within every one of our hearts. Whatever your sin struggle is, that's how Satan's working. He's causing you to move from pride to apathy to confusion to anger to blame to transforming your faith away from God. That's how he works. And guess what? That's exactly what he did with Eve and Adam in the garden. He twisted their thoughts. God is holding out on you. Did he really say that? He did it with Judas when Judas betrayed Jesus. You know, you're really missing out. I mean, is this guy really the guy you, who you thought he was? And he's doing it with us today. From the beginning of time, Satan has always operated, attacking our pride, our heart, creating confusion, doubts, and anger to pull us away from Jesus. And James puts it this way, with this struggle, beginning in verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But he, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires, what's already within their heart that they're not, don't have control over, and they're not seeking Jesus and bonding with Jesus, and they're pulled away from that, enticed. And then James writes, then after desire is conceived, <clears throat> it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death, destruction. And when this temptation begins to win in our heart, apathy sets in, and our focus shifts from doing what we, what God calls us to do to what we want. That's why James writes in the verses <clears throat> preceding these verses, be slow to speak and, and quick to listen, slow to anger. He writes to get rid of all moral filth and accept the truth pl planted in you, which will save you in, in verse 21. In other words, rid your life of everything that is evil, anything that is opposite the heart of God. Otherwise, you are opening yourself up to the onslaught of the offensive attack of the devil who wants your life to suffer with his life. That's what he desires. But James writes, you know, lean on the truth that is planted in you. In verse 21, he writes that. Because this will give you the good life. The life with Jesus. The life that will guide you to truth and abundance. And we need to move beyond just words. We need to move to living it out. This is obedience. God, I trust you with my life. I will walk with you even when I don't always understand it. I will live the way you call me to live when I always don't even feel it. Because you ultimately are what provides everything for me to survive. And sustain. Let's reread that verse we read at the beginning of this message and continue on with what James wrote. He said, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word and does not do what it says is like someone who <clears throat> looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, goes away immediately, forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do it, continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. James uses the analogy here of the mirror. You know, he says the hearer just listening and just looking at it is, is deceiving themselves. 
He uses this analogy that philosophers of that day use quite frequently to identify yourself and, and, and moral improvements that you need to take. You know, how many times you look into a mirror and you look at yourself and you see how you look and you know, boy, I got, I got an alfalfa sticking up in the back, right? Or I got a little Cheeto from breakfast, from, from, not breakfast, I don't eat Cheetos for breakfast. <laughs> but, you know, whatever I hate, I just have a little bit right here. You know, what would we do if we're like, oh, I see it, and then we just kind of, I forgot it, and just go on. No, what do you do when you look in the mirror? You look in the mirror for what purpose? To see if there's any imperfections on your structure that needs fixed before you go out and other people see you, right? You'll fix that hair. When I was in junior high, you know, I didn't use gel, and I would, I would see my alfalfas. I had a lot of alfalfas when I was in junior high. And so I would take all this water, and I would just soak my head. I never learned what gel was until I was older. And then I would go out in the wintertime, and I would literally be on the bus, and my hair was frozen. I'm like, if I can just keep my hair frozen, then it won't stick up like alfalfa. But we look at mirror. Why? So we can see what imperfections our body has to fix before we go out into the world. And that's what, the, what James is saying here. We look intently into the law, which is God's word, which God's word really is Jesus. It's living. It's active is what the Bible says. We look intently into his word, the mirror of life. Why? So that we can see, is there in any imperfections with who I am, my moral self that needs adjusted? And what happens is when apathy sets in, we just merely listen to the word. We just kind of, kind of look at it. Kind of see, oh, I don't know if I want to change that in my life. I, I kind of like what Jesus says here, but I'm going to rip this part of it out. And we just kind of go on. What James is saying is here, how crazy would it be if you looked in a mirror this morning and saw, I got food all on my face, but you just left it. That you kind of forgot what you actually looked like without the food all over your face. I mean, if, that, if, if that's really what you're dealing with, man, well, let's talk. But that's what happens so often with us spiritually. We've forgotten what we looked like morally, what God called us to do, what God called us to be, what it means to follow him. Because James says when you walk with him, there you find freedom. There you find life. When you gaze into the perfect law that gives freedom. You know, when we walk with him, when we build that bond of trust, there we find life. But when we don't, like an untrained dog, it will always be a life of frustration, disappointment, and before you know it, the rug's going to get pulled out of you, and there's destruction. Jesus said this in Luke eleven twenty eight. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. She said, when you walk with me, you will be blessed. See, don't miss this point. Obedience brings blessings. It brings blessings. And we obey to experience the full life that Jesus offers. That's why we obey. Because we know when I walk my way, what I want to do, it might feel good for a moment, but sooner or later, 
it's going to fade away, what the Bible says. Fade away without me even recognizing it. Before you know it, bam, it's smacked in the face. But what I learned in my journey is exactly what the Bible says. When I walk with him, when I walk with him and obey him, and I trust him in that journey, he opens the door to so much more. You see, Jesus promises to bless us when we obey. He promises us that. And we don't experience his promises when we walk our own way. The devil wins when he stirs anger within us for the call to obey. The devil wins when, when he causes us to just think, you know what, I don't have to worry about my life or the consequence. I don't think that's really true. I don't, I, I don't think heaven, or hev, hev, he, heaven and hell is really what it, the Bible says it is. You know, maybe it's just a made-up fairy tale. The devil wins when he creates those lies in our heart and he's trying to attack us and restrict us from experiencing all that God has for us. And when we don't obey, that's when we're truly missing out. It all goes back to the heart. What do you love? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. And quite frankly, if you're walking your own path, your love is in question. Your love is in question. What do you love? Are you so full of yourself that you love yourself that much? Be careful. You're going to get a wake-up call one day. Or are you full of Jesus? I encourage you later on to read the rest of John 14 after verse 15 when Jesus said, if you love me, obey my command, because there he opens the door of the blessings you will receive. He will give us the Holy Spirit to help us and guide us. He will not leave us as orphans. He will not leave us alone. He will come to help us, and he will show himself to us, and all that he is is what he shows. Read those verses. Find encouragement in the blessings that he provides. Because when we trust and obey, Jesus then reveals the way. Let's pray together. Father, in this moment, may we just seek you. Lord, in this moment, may we just long for you. Lord, <clears throat> obedience begins with our bond. You know, when Satan tries so hard, just as he did with Eve and Judas and us today, to cause us to question you, to cause us to think that you're holding out on us, to cause us to think that we're missing out when we, when we follow the way you call us to live. But Lord, I pray that when we take steps towards you, that you may, experience, that you may reveal yourself reveal your blessings, encourage us in that journey. It's in your name we pray, amen.